Hello and welcome to the Thrive For You Besties podcast. I am your bestie, Carolina. And through these episodes, you will meet some of my besties who helped inspire me and uplift me in the moments where I needed it the most. And so hopefully we develop a community where we all help each other, share our stories, and you know, just have some fun, get litty, and feel our best, which is the most important thing. Let's get started. Sandra, I have so many things that I want to talk about. <laughs> what are you laughing at? That we just decided. <laughs> well, let's start off. Why don't you like tell us you have like a pretty good position right now at the career that you're in. She's a boss and uh, <laughs> maybe just a boss. But I think it's really cool that you were able to get to the place where you are, where, you know, coming from like a small town and like now having a position at a firm in a big city and then how you were able to get the position that you're at right now where you can like telework and pretty much do whatever you need to do to fulfill your job and live the life that you want. So I think that's pretty cool. A lot of people wish that they could get there. How did you get there? So first off, thanks for um, having me. Um, So yeah, I am a manager at a a big four public accounting firm that's based out of San Francisco. So how I got there was a very long road. So I went to school at UC Berkeley, almost did not graduate uh, many (laughs) times, but how I you know, stumbled upon this job was they're very, um, they have a really big presence at our school trying to recruit people. So, you know, they have, you know, meet the firms there. And I was one of hundreds of students that, you know, was lining outside, like it was a concert just to meet these people and try to get a foot in the door. Wait, like it was like a literal, like a career fair or what? Just for these four companies. Yeah. So, (laughs) So they had like a whole building and they have each firm at each corner with their professionals there uh, waiting to talk to you. And everyone's dressed up, you know, in full, not business casual, business formal, just handing out resumes and trying to get an interview, basically. Wow. So from that point, how many people get called back? I don't know how many people get called back, but they, you know, start at meet the firms and then a small subset, maybe half of them get interviews, and then maybe another half of those get an offer. So when I interviewed and went through the whole process, I think they extended offers for new hires. I think there were like a total of five of us at the very end of it uh, for that one firm. So you can imagine it's probably, you know, 20 or 30 people just throughout the whole process that get these jobs. Literally survival of the fittest. (laughs) It really is. And it's super cutthroat, like going to these things, like basically have to, you know, throw your elbows and like try to get a spot in the big old circle, crowding one professional trying to talk to them. Yeah, I basically shouldn't don't have didn't have the stats to even get the job. I mean, I think their GPA requirement was like a 3.3 and I was at like a 3.3000. So I felt like I basically skated into the door. But yeah, it's kind of odd how they decide to choose people like there's people with tons of experience 4.0s don't get it and there's people like me who are probably at the lower end of the totem pole who get an offer but to that I would like to just kind of point out like it's crazy how you said like that you were at the lower of the pool right but then it's like out of everyone that came on board at the same time that you came on board like how many people stick (laughs) 
Yeah, it's kind of crazy because it very mirrors our education system too. In high school, I mean, I was like top 10 or whatever. But as soon as I stepped foot on that campus, I was at the very bottom. Um, and seniority was determined based on, you know, like units. Mm. And a lot of these kids, they were telling me like, oh yeah, I took 10 AP classes during my high school career. Galt only has like four of those. So as soon as like I walked through the door, I was very last in seniority. So that's kind of how, unfortunately, I approached my situation was just like, well, I'm already down here, um, but I made it at least. So let's see what we can do while we're here. So you mentioned that you almost didn't graduate several times. What What do you mean by that? Uh, the very first semester, um, I almost failed a class. And as soon as you fail, you have to have like a certain GPA requirement to be, well, said differently, if your GPA is low enough, you get put on academic probation. And if you continue that for another semester, you risk getting kicked out. So it's a very fine line, especially, you know, at that time I was taking four classes. So I wasn't doing so hot in the other ones and I almost failed this one. So I was at risk of not graduating, actually. I cried in the middle of, you know, campus. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, I thought my life was over. So yeah, that was one of the times. And then I mentioned the seniority thing. Um, you have to have a certain number of units to graduate. But since I came in with basically no units, actually cramming in the full curriculum in four years is very difficult. So I risk not graduating within four years. It might have taken me five or six years. When you had those moments where you would cry on campus, there were <laughs> students also crying. Yeah, actually, there are a lot of kids that uh, were in my position or, I mean, honestly, they were in better positions than I am, but it's just, you feel so much competition there, even if it's not brought on by yourself, that you just have those moments where you break down and you feel like you can't do anything. I imagine that'd be like a little bit of a shock for kids who go to college and aren't used to being at a school that's so competitive, like small town schools, maybe even like with just average academics. Mm -hmm. You're like a superstar immediately just because you're like really trying. Yeah. And then you go to a school that like the top tier of all over the place. It's like so competitive. Some of these kids are used to it and other kids are not so much. Yeah. Like a culture That's shock almost. True with any school too. Like when people think of me and UC Berkeley, they're like, oh yeah, it was easy for her in high school. It should be easy. But that's not necessarily true. Like you can have the same struggles at any college, really, especially like you said, if you were a big fish in a small pond, now you are a straight up goldfish in an ocean. Like you're, you're going to have that, those troubles no matter where you go. How would you motivate yourself to keep focus in school? So I, I think one of the things that was really helpful, maybe the one helpful thing I learned in high school was the idea of opportunity cost, meaning, you know, the cost of the alternative. So I knew going into Berkeley, especially with, you know, the status of the units and just the cost of everything was so enormous. I knew I had to graduate in four years, no questions asked. Like there is no way I can do a fifth year because would have costed me over 15 grand in tuition, plus the opportunity cost of actually having a job, which could have been, you know, $50,000, $60,000 um, that I would have been missing out on. So that was like my main focus when I first, you know, got into college. 
And I don't have a lot of people in my family that I can look up to in terms of being college and, you know, following in their footsteps. So it took a lot of planning on my end. Like I was at Psycho that was like, okay, by my eighth semester, I should be taking this class. These are the three majors that I might potentially look at. You know, there might be a chance I don't even get into two of them. So I need a backup, a backup to my backup, and a backup to my backup to my backup. So that's kind of how I approach things was just having that one goal and working my way backwards and seeing, you know, where I can fill in the holes. So I I think like what I'm hearing is a tremendous amount of pressure to graduate in four years. It's a really big thing to carry on your back, but planning was one way that you were able to kind of keep yourself together. Um, You said psycho, but actually I'm surprised you didn't lose your shit. I did a few times, just quietly and internally. Um, (laughs) But yeah, I would say planning was a a big thing. Also really understanding your strengths and weaknesses. Like I never really bought in. I'm not like academically smart. Like the way I understand things, I have to, you know, have something explained to me and I have to repeat it to be able to remember things. I can't just look at something and get it. So I really understood where my strengths and weaknesses were. And the way that I can combat some of my weaknesses was just planning out as far ahead as I could. Yeah. And that requires a lot of like honesty about yourself. I think that sometimes we get stuck in like problems or just things get difficult. And a lot of what holds us back is like us not wanting to look in the mirror and see what things we could work on or what things we need to improve on. I think a lot of skills are learned. Uh And you know, you could be really talented at something, but there's still other things that you can learn a skill for to get you to like the next level. And if we don't look at, okay, these are my weaknesses and these are my strengths, like just being strong at something's not going to make you succeed. You also have to work on those weaknesses to get yourself like where you want to be. Yeah, that that's definitely true. And you know, like in high school, you know how like it were just people in our hometown. I mean, it's fair to think this way. It's like, you know, hard work and you'll succeed. And it's like, that's not always true. There are different ways to work hard. There's different ways to work smarter. It doesn't just mean follow exactly what your professor or what your teacher says and you'll get an A and you'll succeed. Like there are other things that you have to do in the background to really, you know, get the good grade or to get that internship that you want or, you know, get that job offer that you want. So totally. What about the kids who, because you mentioned kind of briefly that there were other kids that were competing with you who did have the 4.0, but they didn't get the job. I think something that like is really important that I'm noticing is less common is that people don't know how to talk to people. And I guess we can Mm -hmm. segue into how important it is to be able to like know how to communicate with people. Because I think like being book smart or whatever you want to call it, like that only gets you so far. The good grades really only get you so far. You, I, Mm -hmm. I believe that you have to have some type of like social knowledge. Yeah, that you hit it like right on the head. There are a lot of people who can, you know, get the good grades and they're actually really smart, but those are the same people who wouldn't be able to articulate it, right? They wouldn't be able to teach someone. And I think having that skill, being able to coach, coaching someone and being coached, those are two like of the most important aspects of, you know, a job in a, you know, a professional setting. 
one of my managers said, like, we're basically hiring babies and we're just teaching them how to do what we're doing because you have no experience with this whatsoever. You don't know what any of this is. So you need to be, we need to be able to mold you. Uh, we can give you all the skills. We can teach you how to use Excel. We can teach you accounting methodology. We can give you all that. But I can't teach you how to talk to a CFO. I can't teach you how to talk to an accounting manager. That's something you kind of have to inherently have as well as be able and willing to develop that. Yeah, I think as someone who's in an industry where, I mean, not just this, but like my day job, where I do have to talk to people all day long and every day, it's so important to be able to be humble enough to be coachable. Uh-huh. And it's equally important to be a good leader. And a good leader doesn't mean bossy. Uh, well, you tell me, Miss Boss, <laughs> what is a good leader? What have you noticed in your time being a manager that has helped you lead? I think being, for lack of a better term, like compassionate, we have this you know, idea that, you know, once you become a manager, a senior manager, you kind of forget those days as a staff and a senior and like struggling long nights, trying to figure things out, you know, taking too long on certain tasks. And I feel like I, you know, articulate to myself, like, hey, if things are taking you longer, if you spend more than 15 minutes on something, just reach out to me and maybe we can talk through it. But, you know, just being available, you know, being compassionate and understanding that you are once in their spot. So it's important to, you know, give them that knowledge and give them the advice to, you know, succeed and hopefully, you know, someday be a manager themselves. Yeah, I, I really, I really like that you said that. Yeah, and just like, you know, I, I feel like I'm not that smart. I don't feel like I'm that great at everything. I just, I just worked really hard to get to where I'm at. So I don't feel, I just don't feel like I'm smarter than anyone, I think at the end of the day. But I think that again, is like you hold something that makes you valuable, right? So mm -hmm. like whatever you were able to learn in school got you a certain a certain amount of far, but then everything else that you've developed in your lifetime, or even lessons that you might have learned during school and like, by overcoming certain challenges that we can talk about more if you want. But like all these things molded you to be able to be the leader that you are right now in the position that you hold. Another thing too is like that really stuck with me is a couple of times when you've flown into this into town, you've mentioned like that you wanted to go meet up with your coworkers or your staff to like keep up the team morale. And I think like that's really important because I think a good leader is also someone who knows how to be a team player. It's not just, I'm going to step back and let everyone just do things. Mm -hmm. I'm going to make sure that like everyone's energy is still up. Yeah, that that's totally true. You know, I always you know ask my team like, Hey, what do you need help with? Because, you know, they're here to help me too. Um, so I should return that favor as well, right? Like I wouldn't be able to complete my job without them. So I don't treat them, you know, as like do this, do that and do it by then. Uh, there is a little, you know, element of that as a manager, but, you know, uh, being appreciative is also very important. Um, also having that face time, you know, with your team is really important just so they can see like, yeah, I'm working too. I'm not just lounging and waiting for them to finish their work. And, you know, I also really like team events and happy hours. So 
uh, also a plus for me and for my morale as well. What's your go-to drink at happy hour? Uh, I would say it has to be Moscow Mule just because it's, I don't look like I'm about to die when I take a sip of it, you know? Dead. That bunny has a Moscow Mule song. <laughs> okay, just for fun, since you've been on happy hours, I'm just curious, like since you've seen like everyone's orders and stuff, are there certain drinks that you've noticed certain people drink? Like, is that true? You know how they say, say like an older man always orders like a whiskey or whatever. Mm-hmm. like are those things true have you seen like certain people order certain drinks like new drinkers always order amf <laughs> yeah i feel like i think most of us are kind of like weebs so we we go straight i know how to order a gin and tonic you just say gin and tonic you know? <laughs> a vodka soda you can do that right <laughs> like both, both my favorite <laughs> and every bartender knows how to make it so you don't feel awkward if they're like no i don't know how to make that and you're like oh crap i need to come up with another drink you're not pulling up asking for a, a Vegas bomb or, an, <laughs> or a liquid cocaine. <laughs> yeah, none of that. But yeah, there are definitely like been around some people who just do like they just sip on vodka. Man, it must have been a long day. <laughs> You know what? Excel really do be like that though. <laughs> like, oh, there goes my day. So I remember at one point you were kind of uh, questioning maybe career paths or transition periods or, you know, things like that. How did you decide, how did you reach a decision where you wanted to stay and like how you wanted to move forward in your plan in your career? Yeah, that's a good question. So I've been at my job for six years now. And I think the first Four years, I was, you know, the model employee, never looked on LinkedIn, never. I don't even think I had a LinkedIn until three years ago. Um, that day that I'm talking to. <laughs> yeah, so I, I was just, you know, like, I'm loyal. They taught me everything I know, uh, which is true uh, by default, because I was 22 when they hired me. Because you were one of those babies. <laughs> yeah, I was one of those babies that they, you know, bloomed into a full professional. So I felt a lot of, I guess, loyalty, but also, you know, insecure with my experience. Like maybe I'm not good enough, like to move on with my career. Um, So I think it came to a boiling point um, when I couldn't finish my like accounting license. I was just working so much basically sacrificed all my time to work um, and I couldn't get my license that ironically that they need for in order for me to be promoted to manager. So that all came to a head um, and I started looking and I found uh, another good position like as a consultant that I was really interested in actually. But, you know, talking to my mentors at my audit firm um, really changed my mind. I think what the biggest lesson I learned from that experience was that, you know, if you're a good worker, and I don't mean good worker, like, you know, doing all your hours or, you know, slaving away. I mean, good worker as in like, you really made an impact on your teams and you made an impact where your boss feels like they can't let you go. They're going to be willing to pay up for you and they're going to be willing to negotiate with you. Um, But I wouldn't have known that if I didn't test my value, like in the open market. Um, So I think that was probably like the biggest lesson I learned Um, and how I decided to stay was I told them I need, you know, I think it was like five or six weeks off, um, to study and get my, get my accounting license done and they agreed to it. So I decided to stay. Wow. Okay. So you said something about testing your value in the open market. 
And I think that's so important. Like what advice would you give to somebody who's questioning, who's a little bit insecure, like they've been in the one job for a long time. They're not sure this is the place for them anymore. They don't know if anyone else will hire them or going into consulting is a little different than the audit work that you've been doing. Mm -hmm. So it would be essentially a little bit of like a, not a complete change of careers, but it would definitely be like a different type of setting, but you were willing to do that. Mm -hmm. Walk us through that process for someone who like, isn't sure they want to, you know, take that leap. Yeah. This is going to sound cliche. Having a network is really important and keeping in touch with people who, you know, made an impact on your career is also important, you know, because they can be a bridge in the future, um, which is exactly how I found like this other opportunity, a senior manager at that time he left, but he was actually my senior when I was a staff um, and he got all the way up to senior manager and, and left to this firm, kind of on the, you know, similar circumstances too. So he just reached out to me and wanted to get my thoughts on a potential career change. And because I was also on friendly terms with him, I, you know, decided just to take a call and, you know, it sounded really interesting. And I had these perceived weaknesses, you know, in my career that I wanted to develop. And I felt like this opportunity would have helped me to make that weakness into a strength. So that is why I decided to entertain, you know, the offer just to see what, what is up, basically. It's almost like you're dating around. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Swiping left, swiping right. But I also want to mention, like, I'm not just testing my value on the, you know, open market. I'm also, you know, testing my value at my current job, right? I, I, I think I'm making an impact on my teams, but is it actually true? Not that I needed to go through all this to understand that, but, you know, that was, you know, a byproduct of that. While I was searching out there um, for opportunities that, you know, would, strengthen my weaknesses, I could have also just reached out within my firm, like, hey, are there other opportunities that I can join to get that, you know, not the same experience, but very similar experience. But something that's like really important that I think that you mentioned was, um, or at least it played out that way for you. I don't know if you did it intentionally. I think in relationships, whether they're at work or romantic or family or whatever, it's like sometimes they get difficult and we're not kind of sure where we're at. It's rocky. And then you did go and like kind of it just, you know, question like what's out there. Mm-hmm. But you also gave your present employer an opportunity to counter yeah. or like express appreciation for you or to give you like what you needed. Right. So then I think a lot of that comes down to, and we talk about it all the time, but to me, it's a form of self-love too, like self-respect, like you respected yourself as an individual, as a professional, like, Hey, this is not working for me anymore. Mm-hmm. I require a, B and C. Can you, prove- yeah, 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 that's totally true. And not to say that, you know, my, my company or like my teams were, doing anything wrong I'm kind of the I'm the type of person that doesn't need a lot of words of affirmation so I can just bulldoze through a project and you know not look back and you don't need to say thank you I don't need to say you're welcome Um, moving on and that's kind of it once I told them like I have this other job lined up and wanted to get their thoughts I really appreciate like their honesty about how that would impact my career uh, rather than you know try to be biased and like, no, just stay, but really weighed out the pros and cons with me. And I think it's always good to have 
that input from your current employer too. Um, it also depends on the kind of relationship that you have with them. I wasn't just going around to anyone and everyone talking about this, but it was you know just with people I perceived as my mentors just to get their thoughts on that. And it was also important because they they told me about what they think I could achieve at you know my current job within the next few years. So it really helped me get a, a more like a longer view perspective rather just now, like I need this right now. Yeah. Which is really important, especially when you're like a person, like in your mid to late twenties, when you're really trying to like get yourself set up for, you know, whatever the next step in life is. Mm -hmm. Do you want to tell them who your coworker was? Uh (laughs) Uh, Love is blind. But she was the, the quote unquote career woman. Um, and yeah, she worked at, works at my firm. She dipped so fast. She, (laughs) yeah, she was out of office for a few months. (laughs) Oh, Shane. For real. Yeah. I should get on a reality show. Maybe I can get a few months off. (laughs) You will be hosting the watch party. I will be hosting the watch party. I don't want to get too much into your work. I also don't want to talk too much about my work. (laughs) There's some areas I was like, oh, I I shouldn't have said how many weeks I got off. (laughs) Without getting too much into your finances and things, um, I know, I think you mentioned it briefly, but like, what are some tips that you can give to people who are going back to school, freshly starting school, fresh out of high school, going back as an adult, whatever it is that your situation is, if you're going to go to school, what are some tips that you can give them to have as little school debt as possible? That is a good question. I feel like I'm so far removed, but not really. I think the first thing for me personally, I kind of knew like the realm of what I wanted to study. You know, it wasn't just like accounting and that's it, right? Like I try to find majors that had overlap in case I changed my mind or something. Um, So I was like working towards three majors consecutively, but they just happen to have classes that overlap. So I was able to knock out a lot of classes concurrently. So in case I do change my mind, I'm not super behind and I don't have to do an extra year. Referencing back to the plan A, B, and C. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) that happened at the same time. I wanted to do business. I couldn't get into that. I don't know why, but you have to apply at Berkeley to get into that major and I did not get in. So the next closest one was economics. But you, there's a GPA cap for that. And remember that 3.300, that was the, the GPA cap. And then the third one was political economy, which all of them had, you know, the same realm of classes. So I made sure to knock out any overlap in prereqs first and then moved on to, you know, my other requirements for my major, just in case I decided to change, you know, change majors. Another thing that I think it's important for people to understand is like your major will not determine what your career path is. It's more so, you know, the skills that you develop, like you mentioned communication and, you know, how to present things and how to present yourself. So I think I learned a lot of that, I think in like my economics classes, because I had to work in groups a lot, develop like teaming skills and like how to project manage a group of people. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say, don't worry too much about, you know, your major, unless you're going to be a doctor, then yeah, you should probably do something doctor related. You, you don't even need a political science degree to be a lawyer. You can do whatever you want and then go to law school later. So I wouldn't get too wrapped up on that. Really just focus on like what you like to learn as well as, you know, the skills that you want to develop. You know, for example, let's say I wanted to be in marketing, but I couldn't get into my business major. So I might actually study communications. That might be a good thing to study or maybe psychology just to understand how to market to different demographics. Right, because these are all factors who land a marketing position later in the marketing or like a category in a position in the marketing department that focuses on the psychology on how to get their ads done or whatever. Yeah. And then, you know, from that work experience, you can maybe network yourself into the actual position that you want. I mean, the possibilities are endless. I think like, I don't know if this is like something that's common or not, but like, to me, it's like, you can literally create a position if you provide value to a company, right? Yeah, that's, that's super true. But I think, you know, I don't want to say society, but like people around us, they think like, Hey, if you study this, you're going to do this. If you study that, you're going to do that. So I would say like, Try to find something early if you can um, that you want to major in or maybe two or three that you can see yourself doing and just try to get it done in four years. Honestly, your your part-time jobs can wait later to when you're making the actual you know, full-time money. Unless you get an internship or something that you really can't pass up. Like I passed on working as much as I could when I was in college, even though you know, I did have to have that money to survive. So it was kind of like an intricate balance. I even planned out how much I was going to spend per month because I was living in a living room for $500. So I had to really plan out how much I could work and how much I can study. And you now you can see why I almost did not graduate. <laughs> it was your lack of sleep. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> Sleeping in the living room. Um, what was your go-to meal in college since you had to plan out your budget? Also, can you give us some examples on like what that looked like planning out your budget? Cause I feel like that's something that's really difficult. It was for me when I was in school, mm-hmm. I did not pass up on that job. I actually went full time. So, but I do know like it's really, really hard if you can avoid working as much as possible. It will make your life easier. I know like it's a pinch, but yeah. It's just so hard. It's just so hard to do both. So my analysis begins in the summer, right before I go into starting my semester, you know, how much financial aid I can get. And then I took, you know, my hourly rate, multiplied it by however many hours to get exactly the amount I need. So I knew I needed $500 for rent and I needed $300 for food. That's all. And maybe $100 for boba. So (laughs) I knew I had to somehow make $400 a month. So I, I did that first and like worked my way backwards. Like this, so this is how many hours I will need to work. And then in terms of like my go-to meal, I would say it's very specific. And sometimes I still have it out of nostalgia, but um, 99 cent noodles from Trader Joe's, like, like pasta. And then like the marinara that is still $1.79. And then, you know, maybe some bell peppers if they were on sale. And maybe a like breakfast sausage that I think was like two ninety nine, <laughs> and if I'm feeling fancy, maybe some cheese. Oh my gosh, I would replace the bell peppers for the cheese. <laughs> I think I would break budget. 
so that that was my my go-to meal and I, I can like make that last maybe you know four days I always made coffee I mean it's a bad habit now that I buy coffee a lot but not a bad habit you know sometimes you need it but I'm I always made my own coffee so I'd make like six to eight cups in the morning and I would drink some pack some and then have some in the fridge for later and then once a week I would treat myself to Chipotle and I always treated myself to boba once a week but I think that's great I think I've heard you mention twice that you would calculate it basically like know your your destination and make your way backwards if you take anything away there's a lot of really great points but I think like this one you can kind of put into a lot of different things in your life like if you're ever feeling like you just don't know how to get somewhere then you just write it down visualize it make a vision board make a notebook journal whatever it is that you need to do but like find out where you're trying to be and then make your way backwards. If you really want to make a plan, you know, like you mentioned, you know, failing was not an option. And, and then you focus on the things that you can control, like your budget, what you're spending on food. Yeah. I mean, everyone goes into college knowing they want to graduate, right? That's the clearest picture you have. Um, How you're going to get there is always, you know, there are multiple roads and there's multiple ways. Um, But you know, the end goal is just one thing, right? So yeah, I, I think to your point, keeping that, you know, vision and keeping that end goal, like in your head, it makes working things backwards a little bit easier. Yeah, because um, did you get invited to parties a lot? <laughs> I had the like once a semester party that maybe twice, like when we open up the semester, I always went to quote unquote frat row. <laughs> Gross, I know. And then at the end of the semester to celebrate, you know, end the finals, I, you know, I would go hang out with my friends and do something I probably wasn't supposed to. <laughs> if you need to find me, you know where I'm at. What about the transition between being a student and being a working person now? Was that hard? Oh, no, it was the best thing <laughs> that like I could ever like think of. Like, like, oh, my God, I get paid. I can stop working when I want to. Like, that's cool. And I don't have to worry about failing because in my in my head, I'm like, oh, man, I made it. I'm getting paid. That's fine now. It was kind of odd in the sense, like I had money, but I'm like, I feel like I have to save it for a rainy day. But I don't know what rainy day it is, you know, (laughs) so I was still eating the same meals. I was still doing the, you know, boba once a week, Chipotle once a week kind of thing. So it definitely took some time to get used to. But in terms of like the actual workload and like, oh, man, I college was the most stressful time in my life. And I think it will be that way for the rest of my life. I think for me, it feels just like gravy now, just because college was low key traumatic. (laughs) (laughs) I've heard of several people who actually had a very opposite experience like I know a few people who have like done really well in school and like really loved it and that was like their prime transitioning into the workplace has been really kind of like a culture shock interesting yeah I I think for me I was just you know like I mentioned a bit of a psycho and just go, go, go. And, you know, planning every single thing out. I didn't have to do that anymore. And it was honestly hard for me to stop. There were days where I was a staff and I would just work, 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 work. I wouldn't go home until someone told me to. So it took me some time to figure out how to dial it back and actually know how to be a human instead of just like this robot that was blowing through school. And then the reason why it was easier for me to transition was because at my job, 
again, they're hiring babies, right? So I wasn't expected to know anything. So it felt like a lot less pressure. Whereas in at Berkeley, I felt like I had to know everything. So I, it felt like people were taking their time to like coach me and really build me up. I felt like my transition was slightly easier. That's really good because I think that your experience makes me hopeful. <laughs> Hopeful for what? For everyone else who might be like questioning if when they do start working, I don't know. I just think that sometimes when you're in school, there's just so many things happening and so many things that you just don't know yet about Mm -hmm. life. And then you see other people living their life and and then you're like, oh, well, maybe I should be here. Maybe I should do that. And then you're like, well, no, but I'm doing this. And then you see people in school who are in a different position than you. And then there's like another insecurity. So I just feel like there's just so many things that you just don't know. It, it's tough too. I actually almost didn't go to Berkeley. Like I was that insecure about it. I was like, yeah, I'll just go the community college route or I'll go to a different school or whatever. At some point I was just like, you know what, just for lack of better term, just hold on to your butt and just go, you know, you'll figure uh, it out. Yellow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which is like what I did with my job too. Right. Cause I knew I didn't have the stats to get in, but I was just like, whatever, I'm just going to go. Um, whatever happens, happens, you know, you put your ducks in a row and you set yourself up to, you know, like mm-hmm. it was just, it was there for you. Yeah. And you know, one of the reasons why I, I wanted to do this was because, and I know there's probably like a lot of kids out there that like feel like they're not good enough to do something or, you know, feel like they didn't come from a school with all the resources that could have gotten them to somewhere that they wanted to be and, you know, might feel that they can't go to, you know, a big school or anything like that. But it's definitely possible. You just got to do it, you know, and just try your best. At the end of the day, right? Like, what do you have to lose? Well, I think that was a good call because sometimes like when you, if you're ever stuck between doing something and not doing something, as long as as that thing that you're going to do doesn't hurt people or cause harm onto the world Uh you should always do it because if you don't do it you're just going to be regretting it forever or like not regretting it but what if so it's like if you're questioning it but in reality like obviously for whatever reason you wanted to Uh just go for it yeah give yourself the opportunity right on a side note you can cut this out but like Sometimes I I understand like some people should go to community college because maybe they didn't do enough in high school to where, you know, they have those skills where they can be independent, but it goes back to opportunity costs, right? Like CRC and Delta, like it might take you four years to finish two years of requirements before you can transfer. Um, So by the time you get to like an actual university, you might have done, you know, five or six years. Um, But, you know, if you had gone to maybe the school you should have gone to or that you wanted to go to, um, you could have finished that in four years. And, you know, that difference in two years, you could have had a job, 40, 50, 60K. So, you know, that's your opportunity cost there. You could have, instead of going here, you could have gone here and not missed out on. The math is mathing. Not to, you know, like discredit anyone that goes to community college, because I totally believe in that, too, if you try harder, you know, later in their high school career and needed more time to develop those skills. And yeah, 
that opportunity cost is there too. They might not finish a four-year college. like Or even like if you're unsure about yeah. wanting to go to college, like that's fair. But I think like if you're set on you want this, if you're set on you have your, your university that you want to graduate from, op- weigh out your opportunity costs, like she said, because those extra two years. Make- In my field, those two years, you could have been promoted to a senior from a staff. So yeah, so that's that's my uh, my two cents on community college. Also hit up the financial aid office. If you if you cry hard enough, they might give you an extra dollar. <laughs> but also can't say I haven't done that. <laughs> well, I think this was really helpful. Thank you for doing this with me. I will, I always like to give a freebie tips for interviewing. I'll work on it, but I do like to give something for free. I definitely have tips for interviewing. Thank you. Thanks. Okay. <laughs> <laughs>